Can you remember what it felt like going off on your own for the first time? You might have been getting an apartment, joining the military, or going off to college. If you're like me, it was so exciting, but it was a little bit scary. And today we're going to talk about how we can look for signs that someone is struggling with a big change like that in their life. Maybe even a change that they're so poorly equipped to handle that they explode in violence. Hey everybody, welcome to The Unlovely Truth. I'm your host, private investigator Lori Morrison, and I'm going to bring you another story from the world of true crime, and then we're going to see where it intersects with our faith. Then I hope you'll join forces with me to answer what I believe is every Christian's calling, and that's to be a different kind of PI, a person of impact. This is Season 3, Episode 25, and our book this week is The Events of October. Our guest is pastor, writer, speaker, and resident counselor, David Brannick. He's going to talk with us about specific steps that we can take to look out for each other when someone is experiencing big changes. But we'll do that after we dive into today's case. So let's just go back to remembering what it felt like when we left home for the first time. I know I was excited to do things my own way, but at the same time, I was overwhelmed because I had to do everything now my own way. Can you remember? It was hard. But we learned from our mistakes, and we made our way. But what about those people who don't learn to cope with life's inevitable disappointments? I think we can learn a lot today about ways that we can watch to see who maybe needs a little bit of help navigating these big changes in life. Our story is about a much-loved and bright young woman named Maggie Wardle. She was a gifted student, had musical talent, and was very athletic. She went off on her own for the first time freshman year at Kalamazoo College in Kalamazoo, Michigan. She was learning so much about who she was, what was important to her, and how she wanted to achieve her goals. Unfortunately, she also had the great misfortune to meet a young man who tried to solve his problems with coercion and violence. His name was Ninef Oda. Ninef was also a student at Kalamazoo College. And when Maggie mentioned to a friend that they had in common that she was interested in Ninef, her friend warned her to stay away from him. It was just the first of many red flags that Maggie would ignore. Although Ninef had been born in Iraq, he had been raised in England and the U.S. His family raised him in their Christian faith, but also passed along strong cultural beliefs from their homeland. Some of his fellow students remembered him as being quiet but friendly, while others saw him as someone with a chip on his shoulder. He had a lot of pressure on him from his family, and when his grades didn't live up to expectations, he told a friend of his that he wanted to go to a professor's house who had given him a bad grade and shoot the man. His friend didn't take him seriously, but he should have. We don't like to think that when people we know say things like this that they actually mean it. But anyone who has such poor coping skills that they would actually verbalize a threat like that needs some help. It was another in a long line of red flags. When I read books for the podcast, I highlight important passages and I make a lot of notes. With this book, I wrote red flag over and over and over, more than I ever have in any book that you and I have talked about. But in this case, people either refuse to see them 
or they refused to realize how much Ninef needed some intervention for his behavior. And this is the point in his life when he met Maggie Wardle. Maggie's friends remembered that the romance moved very fast. Some of them felt like Maggie, in part, was drawn to Ninef because she saw someone she thought she could help. Ladies, I beg you, don't do that. I know it's tempting, but we can't fix people. They have to have the desire and the motivation and put in the work to fix themselves. I love bringing new stories to you on the podcast every single week, and I'm really excited to share with you that I have a signature message that I'm ready to take out on the road. It's based on Jesus's parable of the Good Samaritan, and of course, it talks about how people can get out of the audience and into the action and become a person of impact. So what I'd like to do is ask you, if you know someone who is responsible for scheduling speakers for women's events or couples retreat, would you please contact me and share their name and contact information so that I can reach out to them? I would so, so appreciate it because I want to take this message to as many people as I can. You can direct message me on Facebook, on Instagram, or send me an email, Lori, that's L-O-R-I, at theunlovelytruth.com. Now let's get back to Maggie's story. It became apparent very, very quickly that Ninef was changing Maggie more than she was changing him. He didn't like her friends, so she saw less of them. He had rules for her to follow, so she only did certain things when she knew he wouldn't find out about them. Her friends wondered if Maggie saw Ninef's smothering attention as maybe a twisted sign of the depth of his love. I see it as yet another huge red flag. Maggie truly believed that everyone was basically good, and tragically, she was wrong. Maggie and Ninef's small arguments escalated, and he began to call her vulgar names. He threatened to kill a mutual friend who he thought was interfering in his relationship with Maggie. Another friend who was planning to room with Maggie in the fall term of their sophomore year told her she wouldn't do it if Maggie continued to see Ninef. Again, it was another huge red flag, but Maggie ignored it and instead ended that friendship. Ninef began to monitor Maggie's movements and would get upset if she didn't respond to a call or a text quickly enough. It finally became too much for Maggie, and she courageously ended the relationship. Ninef continued to pursue her when school started back up in the fall. Maggie was a sweet girl, and she tried to be nice and let him down gently. I'm going to interrupt here again and say, ladies, please don't do this. When you've said what you need to say, you don't owe an ex anything else. Maggie really needed to cut off all contact but she just couldn't seem to. And nothing that I read in the book suggested that really anyone was encouraging her to. You know how it is, ladies. We want to be nice to everybody. Maggie had just started seeing another young man and was excited to go to a homecoming dance with him. Ninef saw them together and multiple people heard him make very disturbing comments and threats. But no one did anything. Ninef decided it was time to take action a very permanent action. He asked Maggie to come to his room and read something for him. Two of her friends urged her not to go, 
but Maggie did. Once she was there, Nineff shot her to death and then turned the gun on himself. Just like that, two lives were over and countless others were traumatized. Our guest today, pastor, writer, speaker, and resident counselor David Brannock is going to share some tips with us about what to look for in relationships among young people, what red flags to be watching for in really all of the people around us, and then what we can do to help make a difference. David, thanks for taking the time to join us today. I am so glad you're here. Well, thank you for having me. Well, we'll just dive right in. Um, you know, when I read this book, one thing that just really struck me is how the college age, you know, whether you actually go off to college or you're starting a trade or whatever you're doing, it is such a time of change. And a lot of times these, these young people, we treat them like adults, but we also treat them like they're still kids. You know, they're old enough to vote and serve on a jury, but they can't buy alcohol. They can drive a car, but they can't rent a rental car or a hotel room. And so it's just this this weird spot in their lives. So as we're watching someone that age that we love, how do we know whether they're able to really navigate it well or not? What should we be looking for? I think paying attention to their behaviors and especially we've had as parents uh, 18 years or or a little more of a baseline of how our son or daughter is and so as they go through the, the next steps with college is there a significant change in their behavior you know and what are they talking about what are they not talking about Sometimes what people don't say is actually more important than what they do say. That's a really great point. And, you know, just keeping those lines of communication open. Absolutely. They might not want to share everything with us, but, you know, asking those questions and just seeing if we can get them talking a little bit. And on this podcast, we talk a lot about red flags. And as I was reading this book, I would circle things and underline things and write, oh no, red flag. And I ended up writing so many. I was started just abbreviating RF, RF. I've never had a book where I wrote down so many red flags that I saw. And this young couple, Maggie and Ninef, their friends seemed so shocked when Ninef actually killed Maggie. But when we see all these red flags over and over and over, um, you know, why don't we add them all up? Why do we look at things individually instead of saying, oh, that's about the 10th red flag I've seen. And each one by themselves, maybe not a big deal, but maybe, maybe I should say something. Why do we not want to do that? I I think our tendency is that we want to give people the benefit of the doubt. Uh, You know, our our jury system, our legal system is innocent until proven guilty. And so we want to treat our our friends or whoever we're looking at the same way. And so if someone is not coming to us saying, I've got this problem, then unless 
it's something really obvious, then we, well, okay, maybe that's a, a little quirky thing, or no, that seems a little off, but we, we don't want to believe, oh gosh, this must be, this smoke must be the, the, the sign of a real fire. And I think we even see that in popular culture. So as we're recording this, you know, we're in the middle of the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. And I've been very shocked by not only some of the vulgarities and threats that he made talking to his friends, you know, about wishing her breath would cease and worse, but that none of his friends said, hey, man, that's fairly extreme. Let's talk about this. They're all like, yeah, yeah. You know, when do we confront somebody? Is is threatening people blowing off steam or is it a warning sign? That is a good question, Beth. I think it, it starts by at least saying, hey, that, dude, that's extreme. You know, that that's not appropriate. That Do you really think that? Uh, I would imagine if his friends had said that, then they would say, say probably backpedal, oh, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just joking. But if someone is really, uh, if there's harm going on in a relationship, there, there are signs that you can watch for. Definitely verbal abuse is one clear sign. Uh, how does that person talk to their partner? And how does that person talk about their partner with their friends? Um, is this partner, is the, the person in question trying to isolate their, their partner? Uh, is, do they always blame the, the other person for everything that goes wrong where it's always your fault, nothing's ever my fault? Those types of things, I think if, you, if you're paying attention, you can, you can pick up time after time you start connecting some dots there. I think a lot of women like Maggie want to be caretakers. And so even if their partner is perhaps being verbally or even physically abusive, they think they can fix this. That is a myth. There's an old saying uh, that why is it that, that uh, men get with women hoping that the woman won't change and women get with men hoping that they will change. Um, and, you know, and of course, everybody does change. But yes, um, we are not projects. And no one can fix another person, no matter how much you love them. Uh, my, my wife and I have been married 31 years. And she can help me, guide me suggest things, but there are certain things that have improved over the years that the Lord and, and I have had to fix. And there are just certain things that she's just had to accept, you know, will just be part of who I am as a flawed human being. So I say that, that yes, uh, oh, I, I, I'm going to love him into being a better person. Well, that's just simply not true. Uh, it, it, if it's not to the degree probably that that individual thinks can happen. I'm not certainly not discounting the role of love. Um, Jesus provides the best example of that. But yes, you're not going to fix that severely broken person. That has to come from 
that person's desire to be healed. And that is a really good point. They have to desire for their own healing. If their desire that they keep expressing to you is to fix you, to change you, then my advice is run far, run fast. Yes. And I loved that one of Maggie's friends put up a very healthy boundary. She told her that she wouldn't room with Maggie anymore if she was still in a relationship with Nenef because she saw the damage and she saw how it leaked out into every relationship that Maggie had. Um, And that really hurt that friendship. And I think that a lot of us have trouble setting boundaries because we don't want to hurt our relationships with our friends, our family, whoever it is. Um, But why is it so important that we do set those boundaries, even when it's tough? Because to not set those boundaries means that we are enabling that bad behavior to continue. I agree completely. And, you know, when you think about it, Jesus, the embodiment of love, even he told like the woman at the well, you know, go and sin no more. He put that boundary up. Yes. He, he showed her incredible love. He spoke to her with compassion when no one else would. But he still said, but hey, some things have got to change. So, you know, take that as your example, anyone who's having a hard time setting a boundary. And I get it. I have certain relationships where it's harder for me to do that in than others. But not only are you doing it for your own best interest, but like you said, you don't want to enable people. You don't want to, because if you don't hold to that boundary, then the person will, what's their motivation to change? And so it might cost a friendship uh, in the short run, or in this case, it ended because she ended up dead, obviously. But um, even if even if she had lived, uh, even if it had cost a friendship, it would hopefully have sent the message, I care about you so much that I am willing to sacrifice my connection with you to hopefully help you see that this is not acceptable. It's not right. Uh, It's very, very hard to to set that and follow through. I know. But otherwise, just you keep giving in, there will never be a motivation to change. And in your years as a pastor, doing pastoral counseling, and now you're becoming certified to be a counselor in, in a different way, I'm sure you've seen a lot of situations like this that did not end well because people would not set boundaries. Yes. Uh, it's difficult for people to, to be assertive. The tendency is to either want to be too passive and to have no boundaries or to be aggressive where I want to come in and step all over you and your boundaries. And, and it's very hard to be assertive the way Jesus was. Jesus stood up for himself, but he also honored the other person's free will. And in a a relationship, when when, uh, people don't have healthy boundaries, yes, it won't won't end well. It may not end in death, 
but it's still there will be a lot of problems. There will be a lot of uh, a lot of destruction left laying beside the road because the people they did not love their neighbor as themselves, or they did not love themselves as their neighbor. I think it's important too to point out that even though this case went to an extreme ending. So many people don't even realize they're being abused because they see it as only physical harm. But there's emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, even financial abuse. Absolutely. And often those kinds of abuse that you just named precede the physical abuse. The, the physical abuse is usually not the first kind that starts right out of the gate. Uh, uh, there'll be, the person will be charming. Uh, they will be, oh, uh, uh, you know, you're the only person I I've could ever talk to. I've never felt like this with anyone else before. Um, just sweet and charming as could be uh, until the the relationship gets going, and then it becomes a, a matter of control, blaming, belittling, um, and then if the other person doesn't continue to submit, then it can elevate to the, the physical, and there could be the threats, you know, if you ever leave me, I will hurt you. And ladies, if you ever find yourself making the excuse when someone does confront you, if you're saying, he wouldn't do this if he didn't love me, if you hear those words coming out of your mouth, you are in serious trouble. If you're having to excuse bad behavior under the guise of love, things are not going well in your relationship. Yes, he doesn't love you because he's doing those things. If he truly loved you, he would not treat you badly. And you wouldn't have to defend, try to defend that behavior to your friends or your family. Exactly. And then after this horrible tragedy happened, after Nineff murdered Maggie and then killed himself, then there, there was a whole new level of tragedy and trauma as everyone tried to deal with this. And I thought it was very interesting. This book is written in a, in a memoir style. And the author spoke very much about other staff members like herself on this college campus, especially people from the counseling center. Everyone was wondering, what did we miss? Should yes. we have seen something we didn't see? Were there things we could have done to prevent this? And it is easier for me to make my little notations of red flag, red flag after the fact, because I know what happened as I'm reading the events preceding it. But in real time, if we have someone we think is in a relationship that's not going well, um, what can we look out for and, and be able to tell that someone's really struggling? Back to what I said at the very beginning, even if we've only say a, a college roommate or a, a friend on campus, there's a certain baseline of behavior that we've observed. And if we notice that things start to be different. So um, is there a, a 
significant increase or decrease in weight. Uh, that can be a sign of uh, depression or anxiety if it is in a short amount of time you put on or drop a lot of weight. And and if you drop a lot of weight, you're not trying to. Are you suddenly, are your grades slipping? Uh, are you suddenly not hanging out with the friends like you were because you're exclusively, that person is exclusively hanging out with their their partner uh, and when the partner is with their the your friend does that partner overbearing always try to speak for them to to dominate and control the to to one up uh, is is that person significant other hypersensitive where you know they can they can say something that cuts you open but then if you said something half as bad to them you know, they act like you just insulted their mother or something. And, and things like that, um, extremely jealous. Um, but I, I, explosiveness and moodiness, those are two signs of people who, who actually physically batter their partners. Is there a big fluctuations in mood? You know, everybody has up times and everybody has down times. But, you know, do they go from, from, Normally happy to, you know, over top of the moon one second to, you know, they're ready to, to put up their fists and, and bring it on in the next moment. I mean, that that's extreme. Uh, do they do they threaten violence, even if they try to justify it by saying, oh, I was just joking. But do they talk about that? Because that's not something to joke about. No, that's that's not normal behavior. And and that did happen a lot here. Ninef did threaten violence, not necessarily to kill anyone, um, although I think he did also do that, but he would threaten to get into fights over nothing. That seemed to be his go-to was was violence. So I think you're right. That's that's extremely concerning and when people just try to brush that off as, well, he was joking or he was blown off steam or whatever. That, that I don't think that's a normal thing for people to joke about. No, and especially if they joked once and somebody calls them on it, if they stop and it never happens again, okay, maybe they just, they, they learned a valuable lesson, but if it keeps on and then they still, oh, just kidding. Uh, now, if someone is really an, uh, in, an abuser, they're very insecure. They're, they're, they're the most insecure people on the planet. You know, that they, they feel so bad about themselves that the only way they can make themselves feel good is by dominating other people and controlling them because they, they, they don't love other people because they don't love themselves. So they're, they're, they're insecure. They're cowards inside. Well, that, that's a very good point. And I think sometimes remembering the old adage that you can't see the forest for the trees sometimes when you're the one in the relationship it's harder for you to see things that are concerning and when you have friends when you have family members expressing their concerns or saying i don't like this person or i don't like you together or what however it is they're putting it listen to those people don't don't fool yourself by saying well, I'm the only one that really knows him. So I'm the only one that really understands him. 
people that love you are going to tell you things because they're concerned about you. Yes. So when multiple people are telling you they see a problem, then you need to take that to heart. Yes, I, you make an excellent point, Lori. The, if your friends are uh, consistently saying, I'm, I don't feel good about this relationship, pay very close attention to that. Um, because, yes, they're, they're close enough to you that they can see, but they're also objective enough that they're not right up in it like the individual is. And so, yes, if the friends several friends come and say i'm this is i'm concerned about this absolutely if you're if you find yourself having to justify to everybody as to why this uh, behavior is okay if you're in a healthy relationship you won't have to justify it oh that that's probably the best way that we could say that and and we could wrap this up so thank you for that Remember that if, if you are in a healthy relationship, you will not have to justify it to anyone. Yes. And if you need someone who has a tremendous passion for kids in this late teen, early 20s age group, and you need someone to speak to them about depression and mental health, David has a tremendous passion for that. And I've known him long enough to know that it's so sincere and you, your group would be blessed to hear his wisdom. So David, how do people get a hold of you if they are looking for a speaker for their event and they want someone to speak to this topic? There are two ways. The easiest way uh, is through my Facebook account. So I'm on Facebook and then uh, my email I'll spell it out for you, David E. Brannock, B-R-A-N-N-O-C-K, at gmail.com. One of those two ways, at my email or at my Facebook, and people could get in contact with me if they wanted to talk with me further. And I will have links to both of those in the show notes, so make sure you go there, check that out, check out the other resources that were there. And thank you so much, David, for for helping us kind of walk through this difficult topic. Thank you so much, Lori. I really enjoyed being here, and uh, I hope it's helpful to your audience. Definitely. Thanks again. I've got a couple of different passages from the Bible that I want us to think about today. The first is Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25, and this is from the Amplified Bible. Do not even associate with a man given to angry outbursts or go along with a hot-tempered man, or you will learn his undisciplined ways and get yourself trapped in a situation from which it's hard to escape. I just love Proverbs. It talks about such real, everyday stuff and gives incredibly practical advice. Now, please understand, I'm in no way blaming Maggie for associating with Nineth. She thought she loved him. She thought she could help him. And those are both good things but she didn't have enough life experience to appreciate how dangerous he could be. That's why I put out these episodes. It's so important for us to know that we have to look out for each other. We can see things sometimes that other people can't when they're in the midst of it, and we've got to have the courage to step up and try to help them. I also want to share Titus 3 verses 10 and 11 with you from the New Living Translation. If people are causing divisions among you, Give a first and a second warning. 
after that have nothing more to do with them. For people like that have turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. I know this passage is dealing with people trying to cause divisions in the church, but I do think that the principle of the lesson certainly applies to relationships as well. We know that Ninef was trying to keep Maggie away from her friends as a way to control her. She warned him that she didn't like it. She even broke up with him, but she didn't understand how important it was to, after that point, have nothing to do with him, and she paid a very high price for that. I will say this again. We have got to watch out for one another. And that's what this week's practical action step is all about. I want to challenge everyone listening, and even myself, to find someone who needs to be encouraged to distance themselves from an unhealthy relationship. Those folks just may not see the red flags that you can. Or even if they do, they just may need that gentle nudge that will move them to action. Even if they get mad at you, like Maggie did with her friend that wouldn't room with her if she stayed with Ninef, we need to plant those seeds that just might blossom in time to prevent another tragedy like Maggie's. I've put links in the show notes to other episodes about violence in relationships, as well as links to other helpful resources. I hope you'll share them with anyone who needs to see that they're not alone and that there is hope. The Unlovely Truth is written and produced by me, Lori Morrison. Music is by Neocortex and artwork is by Shelby Highland. See you all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode that is part of the Spark Media Network that can now be heard on the Edify app. 